Thank you for listening to this podcast from Liberty Heights Church. My name is Chris Anderson, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at LHC. This podcast is part of our ongoing effort to help you develop a biblical worldview when it comes to life both inside and outside the womb, and specifically to help inform you biblically with regard to the issue before us in the state of Ohio known simply as Issue 1. If you've attended Liberty Heights Church for any length of time, then undoubtedly you have heard us say that the greatest distraction to the gospel in the American church is politics. However, with regard to the issue that is set before us, our pastoral staff believes deeply that this is not a political issue, but rather a moral issue. Therefore, it's our desire to make a difference and not just a point on this critical issue. And so in an effort to equip you to think biblically about this issue, to help you understand the issue practically, and to encourage you to advocate for justice regarding those that are not yet born, we want to put a few resources into your hands. First is a resource from our mission partner, Elizabeth's New Life Center, that closely examines the language of Issue 1 as it will appear on November's ballot. You can find a copy of this document by going to our website, lhc.life forward slash issue one. The second resource is a 19-minute audio excerpt to follow that was preached at all of our campuses in the summer of 2022 during our popular summer series called Ask Anything. The question that we were answering was this, how can Christians and LHC defend the rights of the unborn and at the same time love on those who have had an abortion. In our answer, we started by first examining the biblical case for why we are to defend the rights of the unborn. We also addressed the common statement that we have heard Christians ask when they say, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I believe in a democratic society, so shouldn't everyone be free to make that choice for themselves? And then finally, we examine a question that we think must be included in this conversation, and that is what is a biblical worldview when it comes to the function of government regarding the sanctity of life. Once again, please visit lhc.life slash issue one for more resources, including the manuscript of the message to follow by Pastor Brad Cunningham. With regard to issue one, it's our prayer that you will continue to learn more, to pray over this issue, to talk to others, and most importantly, to vote this coming November 7th. Thank you for listening. How can Christians in uh, Liberty Heights Church defend the rights of the unborn and love on those who have had uh, an abortion? Now, obviously, we, we planned this out three or four weeks ago. We knew what the conversations were going on about the Supreme Court. We had no idea that decision was going to Uh, land on Friday, so we're not teaching in response to that. Uh, We plan to teach this three or four weeks ago, but we're grateful that in the heightened awareness of that, uh, we can speak into that with biblical truth and the timing of that. So this is a great question, and here's why. Most of the wrangling on the issue of abortion is played out and dealt with politically instead of biblically. And let me just say this up, up front. Christians are guilty of that as well. So my counsel on the front end is, wherever you land this position, is that it would be because you're informed by Scripture and not your political affiliations. Okay? 
So we deal with this out of a biblical worldview, and then we align our politics under the lens of our faith, not the other way around. And so in our worldview that's to be shaped by scriptures, not our political affiliations, uh, that's what we have to wrestle through. The first question is that. Is your view of abortion shaped by one of three things? And everybody in the room, no matter what you believe about abortion, listen, it's shaped by one of three things. It's either shaped by scripture, it's shaped by your, uh, your own wisdom, or it's shaped by your political affiliation. Okay, that's the primary shaping force. No matter where you land, that's the primary shaping force. Either scripture or your political affiliation or your own wisdom. Okay? So that's the important question behind the question is, what's shaping your worldview? Now, before I talk about how we defend the rights of the unborn and love those who've had an abortion, let me talk about the why we should defend the unborn. Let me start off by first examining from the Bible, the term for baby in the Bible to see if there's distinction in the Bible between a child that's out of the womb and a child that is still in the womb. In both the Old and New Testament, there is no distinction made between pre-born and post-birth life in the words that are used. As a matter of fact, they're the exact same words with no distinction at all in the original language. Let me give you some examples. In Genesis chapter 25, we read the Words uh, are the account of Rebekah being pregnant with Jacob and Esau. And it says, the babies jostled within her. The word there for babies is the same word chosen under the inspiration of God as the word used for already born children. Uh, Hosea chapter 12 verse 3 says, In the womb he, Jacob, grasped his brother's heel. As a man he struggled with God. There's no distinction in the original language. Luke chapter 18, verse 15. It says, and they were bringing even the babies to him in order that he might touch them. That word babies there in the original language is the same word that's in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, which says this. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, same word in the Greek, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in both cases in scripture, whether it's in the womb or a baby that's outside the womb, the same word, a baby, there in the Greek, is brephos. And the term is used to describe in Scripture both pre-born and post-born life as well. And some people would argue and say, well, they, they probably weren't aware of the difference between a baby and a fetus. Listen, that's the whole point. To them, there was no distinction. But also, I would argue that whether the audience knew the term the difference between baby and fetus they're not the author of the bible god is and i'm arguing that god knows the term and in inspired text he used words that have meaning let's let scripture inform our thoughts jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 let's look at this for a minute jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says before I formed you in the womb. I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. So what do we see? We see God interacting with people pre-birth. We see God knows Jeremiah pre-conception. He formed Jeremiah. He knew Jeremiah. He had a purpose and plan for Jeremiah's life at the point of conception, even before conception. Listen to the words of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul 
knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, what does that mean? Where people couldn't see. Where can you not see a baby being made at? In the womb. Right? From the human eye perspective. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, which is poetic language in the Hebrew for the womb as well. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book uh, were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So let me give you a quick bullet point outline of Psalm 139 in the case for conception. Number one, what we see in verse 13 is that God's care begins at conception. David uses two phrases to illustrate God's care for the unborn. The first, he says, you have possessed my reins. The reins is describing the seed of sensation and feeling as well as that of desire and longing. Poetically, it's used as the inner nature of a person. It's what we would call the inner man. And so what he's saying is, hey, even before my outer man was fully formed, you cared, you possessed the reins and the forming of the inner man or the soul. And so God's involved in crafting uniqueness of the human spirit or soul of every single individual. The second phrase, he said, you have covered me in my mother's womb actually means to interweave or to knit together. So, so what's being formed there? It is a God who is sovereign and all-powerful. It is not a chromosome collision that's taking place. He said God is at work orchestrating all of these events with his omnipotent sovereignty. No room for, for mistake theologically in the character of God. second thing we see in Psalm 139 is God's sovereignty is displayed at conception. Verse 14, he says, fearfully. Now, what does that mean? It means God is skillfully forming that person with reverence. And so when you take a God whose motivation is reverence and a God who is sovereign and omnipotent, what you see is, hey, his intent is reverent and his power is unlimited. There is no theological margin again for mistake in conception. God's sovereignty is displayed at conception. The third thing we see in Psalm 139 is God's plans begin at conception. Now, Jeremiah makes the argument God's plans begin before conception. But even if you want to cast out that argument, so I don't know that I totally agree with that, at the very least, Psalm 139 says God's plans begin at conception. I love the living Bible paraphrase of verse 16. Listen to what it says. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. And so does a desire that God has for each life begin once the baby is born, or does it start earlier than that? Listen, go back to verse 15. Verse 15 says, in the lowest parts of the earth you form me. What is that? In Hebrew poetry, that's symbolic for the womb of a mother. What's verse 16 say? Before I was born. And so the Bible's clear about God's care and involvement at conception. Can I go over for a few minutes today? Is that okay? Yeah, that's totally rhetorical because I'm going to anyway, all right? So... So, because so, here's an issue that we have to deal with. Because there's this scenario of disagreement, even among Christians. And some people would say this, that, hey, listen, I believe that life begins at conception. I'm morally opposed to abortion as a Christian. But in a democratic society, I think people should have the right to choose because I don't want a Muslim theology to drive my decision, just like I don't think Christian theology should drive the decision. So they would say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm morally opposed to this. I think it's wrong. I think it's a sin. I think life begins at conception. But in a democratic society, people should have the right to choose apart from religious coercion. Matter of fact, that was the argument made, if you remember this, 
uh, in the debate between vice presidential candidates, uh, Mike Pence and Tim Kaine. Both professing Christians, and Tim Kaine said, hey, I'm a Christian. I think I'm morally opposed to abortion. I think it's wrong. I think life begins at conception. But in a democratic society, I think people should be able to make that choice apart from religious coercion for those who don't believe. So it's a real question. Good question to deal with. So, so uh, let me just walk through that, okay? Let me speak to that. Number one, if you believe that life begins at conception, the Bible teaches it does. I just taught through several verses where the Bible clearly teaches that. Then what you are saying is this, and advocating for the choice of the mother at the expense of the choice of the child is this. While I'm personally against the unjust taking of a life, which is the biblical definition of murder, I think that other people should get to make that choice to unjustly take the lives of other people. There's no consistency in that argument. There's no consistency at all in that argument. If life begins at conception, then we have to advocate for those whose lives are unjustly being taken. We seek justice for those experiencing injustice, both the born and the pre-born. And I've said this openly. I don't care if it offends people, quite honestly. I think the Republicans have done a good job advocating for the life of the unborn and at times at the expense of those who have been born. And I think the other side has got it totally reversed. I think there's work to do in a biblical worldview on both issues, issues that we're caring for both the born and the unborn. We're advocating for justice for everyone made in the image of God. Listen to Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. When Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself, he's quoting Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 is an entire chapter about seeking justice for those experiencing injustice. And that's true for both the born and the preborn. That's a biblical pro-life ethic. Womb to tomb. I'm for life. Now, here's the second question, though. In the argument of, hey, I'm, I'm personally morally opposed to abortion, but I think other people should have the right to choose, even though I think it's a sin. Uh, here's, here's the thing. So the question is not, do I have a biblical view of life? Here's the second question. Do I have a biblical worldview of government? So what do I mean by that? That if life begins at conception, and a person says, I believe that, Therefore, I'm morally opposed to abortion. But I think the government should let other people choose. Here, here's the disconnect. You can't just have a biblical worldview of life. You also should have a biblical worldview of government. And what does the Bible teach is the role of government according to Romans chapter 13? It's to wield the sword against injustice. And so if life begins at conception, then the biblical worldview of the government is to put a stop to the injustice of lives being taken, made in the image of God. So let's not just have a biblical worldview of life. Let's have a biblical worldview for government. Let's just, let's just get out there. Let's have a biblical worldview for everything. And so there's the disconnect. You can have a biblical worldview of life and yet have no biblical worldview of what the role of the government is. Not, the government's not to promote morality. The government's to put down injustice is what Romans 13 says. And if life begins at conception, life is being unjustly taken, then the role of the government in a biblical worldview is to put down that injustice. So, how do we wrestle with all of this? That's our position unapologetically. I've taught it before. It's not the first time we've taught this stuff. How do we love those who are seeking an abortion or have had an abortion? Uh, let me just, as quickly as I can. Uh, let me offer several things. Uh, number one, uh, being pregnant is not a sin. 
having sex outside of marriage is. And so let's start there. Because I think it would stop some of the shunning and shaming related to unwed pregnancy. Listen, if we're going to be consistent and march up young girls, unwed girls up in front of the church to publicly apologize, let's march up every kid who's having sex before they're married and let them apologize as well. And by the way, have you ever seen the boy have to come before the church and apologize well? I'm pretty sure he was there. Right? Some of you don't know that. That's a whole ser different sermon <laughs> later. All right? I've n I, listen, I've heard horror stories of girls being marched in front of the, I've never heard a boy have to stand up there and apologize. And again, he was there. He's guilty as well. So number one, let's start with that, that the sin is not being pregnant. According to statistics, that's just the person who got caught. The sin is sex outside of marriage. So let's start there with a biblical position. Secondly, I would offer this. Are churches to be so saturated by a culture of grace that flows out of repentance that women with an undesired or unplanned pregnancy's first thought should be that it's safer to run towards the church than away from it? Listen to this statistic. This, this is astounding and terribly sad to me. 80% of women say they would not have chosen an abortion if they had felt more supported. Church, here's, here's what I'm telling you. We've got work to do. There's no place in the world that a woman who's considering an abortion or who's had an abortion should feel more loved than the church of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe that, you're at the wrong church. Christ fully died and satisfied the wrath of God over every sin, so abortion is not the unpardonable sin. And so to not receive God's grace is to actually proclaim that the work of Jesus was not powerful enough to cleanse every sin. And so how do we hold a high view of life, and a biblical worldview of life, and a, and a biblical worldview of government, but at the same time love those who have considered and have actually made that choice. Folks, if the church of Jesus Christ is not a hospital for sinners, we're in trouble. Because I'm looking out at a bunch of them and you're looking up at one of them. So we defend life. We have a high view of life. We defend the unborn. We have a biblical view of the role of governments to put down the injustice against the unborn. And when people sin and cross that boundaries, at the point of repentance, we extend grace and we receive them with the grace of God whose blood has cleansed every sin. We're out of time. Last question was this. Can a person keep on sinning and still be a Christian? The answer is no. Write that down, all right? <laughs> so, hey, let's, let's pray together this morning. And uh, I'm going to pray specifically uh, towards that last question in light of all that's going on around us in culture. So would you bow your heads this morning? God, while we rejoice that government has formed its function, oh, how good it 
stay unborn. God, I pray that you would stir our affections. That there's so much more work to do now. That the church of Jesus Christ would lead the charge for fostering, for adoption, for resourcing pregnancy centers, and for coming alongside of women who find themselves in vulnerable positions and feel they have no other choice. God, I pray that from this day forward in this decision this weekend, that our church would be viewed as a place to run towards, not run away from, from those in vulnerable situations. And God, I pray for every person in this room who's dealt with the shame and battled the choice of abortion. God, that today, they would finally and fully receive the grace of Jesus Christ and walk forward in the freedom of forgiveness. Your blood cleanses every sin. And God, we're grateful for grace because we are desperate and needy people. And so we ask that we would receive it, we ask that we would live in it, and we ask that we would extend it. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.